Well, uh, I'm back, and um, we're trying to confuse you people. I know it was Father Walter last Sunday, and now it's the guy that was here first. Now I'm back. So we'll get used to the rhythm. We're just going to alternate back and forth. So today we're treated to a wonderful parable, my brothers and sisters, a very important parable, a very famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, the moral of the story for this parable is kind of, it's kind of straightforward, okay? Show mercy to your neighbor. Pretty simple. Yet, it draws us to ask the deeper question. How is it that we're even able to show mercy to our neighbor? We're able to show mercy to our neighbor because we ourselves have been recipients, first and foremost, of mercy. The mercy that God has shown to us through Jesus Christ. And so it's no wonder and it's natural that the ancient interpreters in our Catholic tradition read this parable as an image of Jesus Christ. As an image of the plight of all humanity. That all humanity is represented by this robber's victim who's been stripped and beaten and wounded. And then the Good Samaritan comes along. And that Good Samaritan is Christ in the Incarnation. God Himself become man to show us mercy. So this is how this interpretation goes, and I'm going to tie it in specifically to uh, the sacraments, especially the sacrament of reconciliation. Okay, So this is how the interpretation goes. It says, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now what's really amazing is that Jericho is, of all the cities in the world, the one that has the lowest elevation or altitude. It's something like a thousand feet below sea sea level. And it's not far from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest point in all of the world. It's like 1,500 feet below sea, sea level. Now, Jerusalem is relatively high in elevation. It's about 2,500 feet in elevation. And so the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is almost like a straight drop down. It's as it were a fall. And so this is an image of the fall of humanity that was in paradise and it had the gifts of God and the grace of God and yet through sin lost those original gifts, that original grace. And the robbers, who do they represent? Who do they symbolize? But the devil and the demons who take advantage of human sin to wreck all sorts of havoc and cause lots of trouble and tempt us and lead us into more sin so that our problem is compounded. And so it says that these robbers, they stripped him and beat him. Now, more literally translated, it says they stripped him and they left upon him wounds. The stripping here is that divesting mankind of the original grace of holiness, that original grace of God's own life with which we were endowed in the beginning. It's been stripped from us 
and we've been left with wounds. These wounds, mystically speaking, are a reference to the effects of original sin, which are certain inclinations that we have in our hearts that we're born with that make it difficult to do God's will and to follow His plan for our lives. And then it goes on and it says that the robbers went off leaving him half dead. So the robber's victim is half dead. Now if you think about it, that's kind of crazy. Half dead, right? You're either dead or you're alive. How do you, how are you half dead? And so the ancient interpreters say, although human beings were alive according to nature, according to their biological life, yet they were dead in the soul because the life of God's grace had been taken from them. And so they are, human nature as a whole is, as it were, half dead. And then it goes on and it says, before our Savior shows up, the Good Samaritan shows up on the scene to save the day, we see a priest and a Levite who walk by. The priest and the Levite both pass by the Samaritan without helping him. This is an image of the Old Testament, which was powerless. The law of Moses was powerless to help human beings because of human nature wounded by sin. It was powerless to raise mankind up and to restore to him God's grace. And that's why it needed to pass away. Just like the priest and the Levite passed on, so also the old law passed on to make way for the grace of the new covenant. The grace that renovates us from the inside out and makes us new creatures. Rejuvenating us, regenerating us so that we can love and know and follow the will of God. And so the priests and the Levite, they pass away and they make room for the Good Samaritan, who is an image of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John chapter 8, Jesus is accused of by his adversaries. They say, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a devil, that you have a demon? And Jesus denies that he has a demon, but he doesn't deny that he's a Samaritan because he, mystically speaking, is the good Samaritan. And what did the good Samaritan do? He comes to the robber's victim who's laying on the the ground and can't help himself and he lifts him up and he sets him on his own animal, our, our lectionary says. A better translation is beast or beast of burden. And he uses this beast of burden to carry the man to the inn. Now, St. Peter teaches us in his first epistle that Jesus, in his own body, bore our sins, carried our sins. And so this animal is an image of the incarnation, that God himself took upon himself a human body so that he could suffer and die for our sins and thereby make atonement for, for us, thereby open up a way for us to be reconciled to God, to receive again the grace that we had been stripped of. And so the Samaritan continues and he takes the robber's victim to the inn. The inn is an image of the church. Saint Pope Francis is very fond of referring to the church as a wartime field hospital. Okay? So if you can imagine there's two, two uh, opponents and they're fighting and they're on this battlefield and they take their wounded and they bring them to the back lines and bring them to a hospital and in that hospital they're healed. And so the church is an image of 
or this inn is an image of the church where we are brought by Jesus. And it's within the church that we are healed, that we are bandaged up, that we are taken care of and made whole. And so it says the next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Who is the innkeeper? It is St. Peter. It is the Apostle Peter and all his successors in the papal office. All the popes, all the bishops, really the entire priesthood with which the church is, is endowed. And it is the priesthood that carries on the ministry of the Good Shepherd. I'm sorry, that carries on the ministry of the Good Samaritan. That carries on that ministry of binding up and healing the wounded. And that ministry does it with two silver coins. That's the two silver coins. What are they? They are the treasure of the Word of God. And they are the treasure of the sacraments. These are the means by which the priests uh, carry on the ministry of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan says to the innkeeper, I'll repay you on my way back. You see, Jesus ascended into heaven. And he charged the church and her, and the church's leaders with the task of carrying on the ministry of the Good Samaritan, that ministry of mercy. And he says, when I come back, because Jesus is going to return, he says, I'm going to repay you. Okay? So, priests will be judged on how they ministered in the sacrament of reconciliation especially. They're going to be judged on whether or not they carried on that ministry of the Good Samaritan. And it is the sacrament of reconciliation above all the other sacraments that really we encounter the Good Samaritan, that really we encounter the mercy of God. The sacrament of reconciliation along with baptism is a medicinal sacrament. It's for the wounded. It's for the wounded. And it is there that we encounter the Good Samaritan and ourselves receiving His mercy are able to be merciful towards others. Now, some people say, well, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really like to go to the sacrament of reconciliation. It kind of, it's kind of, I'm uncomfortable confessing my sins to a priest. I don't really like it. It's not a very pleasant thing for me. I, I don't want to do it. And I believe that our parable today really speaks to that concern. Because if we go back to the original moment when that good Samaritan came into contact with the fallen, uh, the man, the victim who was, who was the victim of the robbers, what does it say? It says that he poured upon his wounds oil and wine and then he bandaged them. Now, a more literal translation would go like this. The Good Samaritan came up to the fallen, to the man who was, who was a robber's victim and he bandaged him up, pouring upon his wounds oil and wine. Listen to that order. Kind of strange if you think about it. First bandages, then oil, then wine. Actually, if you understand how they treated wounds in antiquity, it would be the exact opposite. It would be wine first because it had alcohol and it was put into the wound so that any possible infections could be cleared out. And then, because the alcohol stings, right? It's uncomfortable, it hurts. But then after that comes the oil, the soothing consolation of the Holy Spirit and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, and the bandaging, the healing up. And so often people will say, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to go to the sacrament of reconciliation. But what they're missing out is the beauty of the oil 
that's poured upon the conscience of the person who confesses their sins and is and is ready to do penance for them. What they're missing out on is that beautiful mercy, the clean conscience, the pure conscience, the, the, the burden lifted off the back. How beautiful, how holy. The bandaging up of the wounds. So yeah, there's a little stinging going on, but it's followed by the consolation of the grace and the peace of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. How wonderful is that, my brothers and sisters? And we have to ask ourselves again, why does Jesus place those medicines in that order, reverse order, the exact opposite order in which they would actually be placed? Well, this is my theory. In our tradition, we have medieval, our medieval theologians in our Catholic tradition have a saying. They say this, the last in execution is the first in intention. Okay, so for example, if you're building a house, you want a house built? You don't first imagine to yourself the bricks, calling the contractor, so forth and so on. You imagine to yourself a beautiful house, and that's what you want. And then you call the contractor, and you lay the bricks, and you do the foundation, and you get the lumber, and you do all of that kind of stuff as a means to that end, that final end that you're aiming for, that you have from the beginning in your mind, the beautiful house where you want to live. And so the last in execution, right, the house is built last, is the first in intention. And I believe that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the intention of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're seeing His mind. We're given a window right into His heart. And it's He wants bandaging. He wants oil. That's what it's all about. And the stinging of the alcohol, okay, the sacrament of confession, the self-accusation of one's own faults and failings, that's simply a means to an end. But what he has from the beginning all along is the beautiful mercy and grace that he wants to bestow upon you and upon me in the, in the wonderful sacrament of reconciliation. So my brothers and sisters, let's not forget that it is Jesus who is the original Good Samaritan. And it's primarily through the beautiful sacrament of reconciliation that he shows himself to us as such. And that in this sacrament, we receive mercy, and it's a school of mercy for us to learn how to then go out and give mercy to others. And as a reminder, just as a little piece of housekeeping here, it's difficult to do the sacrament of reconciliation with this wacky schedule I got flying all over the place. So what I'm going to do is after Mass, I'll just be in the sacrament I'll be in the confessional just for a few minutes, and if no one shows up, that's fine. I'll go to the coffee hour, although we're not having the coffee hour, okay? Uh, but when, when September comes around, that'll be kind of how I do things, all right? Uh, but I really look forward to seeing all of those here present who will show up at the picnic today.